Welcome to the Joy Color Impact and Dogs podcast. Thank you for listening. Lovely to see you. Thrilled to be with you today because this is an episode I've had in the works for over a year. And today I'm giving you the first little sneak peek in to what I hope will be my legacy work. I know that sounds a bit epic, maybe too epic for a concept this simple, but I really want to share with you today one simple challenge and three simple actions to help you lead a happier, wealthier life as an entrepreneur. I've been defining and testing and sharing pieces and parts of these actions and challenge for nearly 20 years. And I believe that based on my personal experience and through decades of work with clients, implementing these ideas, that they do have the power to fundamentally transform your business, your lifestyle, your relationships, and even your core well-being. I didn't think all of this stuff was so connected until I watched the benefits of this work unfold in my life and in the lives of many of the participants in my programs. But before we dive into the nitty gritty, I'd really like to share with you a little bit about how this work found me. I don't know if you know this about me, but I dropped out of college to officially start my business in 2005. All I had to my name was a dream, a camera, a Great Dane puppy, and a whole whackload of student loan debt. I say officially start because at that time, I'd already been getting paid for photography for a few years, but 2005 is the year I got, like, became a proper grown up, signed a lease, got a business license, a bookkeeper, you know, <laughs> got real. After about six years in business, I had tackled several personal and entrepreneurial, let's call them obstacles, which I'll tell you about a little bit later. And I had built not one, but two successful businesses, one multi-six-figure photography and design business on my own, and one seven-figure t-shirt company and lifestyle brand with two partners. But if I'm super honest, I barely made it out of that stage of business alive. At one point, I was so stressed that I got debilitating joint pain and hives all over my body that nobody could diagnose. I went on the craziest like elimination diet and did antibiotics and all these other things to try and stop these hives and this pain, but nothing worked. It wasn't until a little while afterwards, after this peak point of stress, that I realized that is what had caused these extreme reactions in my body. Not good, right? <laughs> so after that, I transitioned fully into what I would have called the anti-hustle school of entrepreneurship. And when mentoring others, I became really focused on helping them avoid my mistakes and this entering the how to build a successful business without burning out phase of my thought leadership. <laughs> now, this work led me to the incontrovertible importance of purpose and how essential for our bodies and brains and brands that we are anchored in a powerful why and that we allow it to fuel everything we do. 
And this shift allowed me to gather insights into hundreds of other business owners' struggles. It deepened my own journey of personal development and gifted me with kind of an obsession for studying and experimenting with the laws of human happiness. Because to the point of burnout, you start to sort of ask yourself, what is the point? Right. And so if we're looking at what is the opposite of burnout, it's living that sort of happy, fulfilled life that most of us want, but find challenging when we start our own businesses. All of this ultimately delivered me to the enchanting world of applied color psychology, where I discovered biophilia and our connection to nature and the world around us and the actually quite predictable ways it impacts our happiness, our success, our relationships, and our health. And all of this reinforced my belief that the ability of each of us to freely self-express and live fully self-determined lives in environments that help and don't hinder our well-being has got to be a top priority for us as a society, for us as individuals, and for us collectively. All of which, like 15 years in, has led me to the stark and beautiful realization that the shapeshifter emotion I'd been chasing, studying, teaching, promoting, and advocating for the whole time wasn't as complicated as all of that stuff I've just listed out. That whole biography sounds complex, right? And I realized that my skills, interests, and area of expertise are all summed up by a simple three-letter word, joy. If we can pursue joy for ourselves and be invested in making joy possible for others, we can grow successful businesses, lead fulfilling lives, build strong, supportive communities, enjoy the process, and act, lead, and consume in sustainable ways. And eventually, big dream, <laughs> eventually all of the world's great, big, hairy, scary, overwhelming problems can be solved. Simple, right? <laughs> Now, before you brush this off as an idealist, impossible dream, I want you to know two things. First of all, there are boatloads of research that support the very bold statement that I've just made. And the second is that I'm in the process of writing a book to prove it to you and to help you do it. So there will be more backup. <laughs> there will be more evidence-based support for everything I've just said. I really do hope to start a global movement of good-hearted human beings who just want peace and ease and freedom for everybody. And there's a big and here. It's not all rainbows and unicorns, right? We have to also acknowledge the realities of our shadow sides, the stuff that makes these things problematic and difficult, and the severity of the massive craters we've already dug for ourselves as humans that we're going to have to find a way to climb our way out of. So, you know, if we want to create real change, it is going to be messy. That's a fact, but I believe it's worth it. So I call this movement joy first, and I believe that I am here to help activate a joy first world. And I want you to be the first to join me in this mission. So while the book is in progress, I wanted to share this straight away so you can start benefiting from what I've been calling the Joy First Protocol straight away. 
And the good news is you don't have to quit your job or close your business or become an activist or do anything radical like selling all your worldly possessions to live in a money-free commune. (laughs) Although some days that does sound pretty good, doesn't it? (laughs) When that payroll is due, it might be nice to live in a world with no money. But today I really wanted to define the basics for you of what joy first means and why it's so powerful. So you can make a choice today to decide if maybe this could be a great way forward for you. And I'll make a reasonably short, but hopefully compelling argument for why Joy First matters and what it can do for your confidence and happiness, your marketing and business success. And I'll give you one actionable challenge so you can start living your Joy First life today, right now. Sound good? Okay, let's dive in. So first of all, where did joy first come from? I explained a little bit about the evolution of my study as a human, an entrepreneur, a woman, a creative marketer, influencer, but the experience that galvanized my curiosities into the actual research started early. When I was 10, I remember distinctly on this clipboard being labeled by my doctor as obese for being 10% over my recommended body weight. I was 10. (laughs) And this began a 30-year battle to lose weight in order to become, quote unquote, normal. That was a heavy weight for a child, (laughs) pun intended. And for me, I extended normal to mean lovable and worthy. Uh, What else? When I said, fuck it and ditch my plans to become a veterinarian to face that starving artist fear head on in order to become a photographer and designer for a living. Or when I first got screwed in a business deal, which led to an emotionally and financially draining five-year legal battle. Or when during and after winning that legal battle, I endured the painful decade-long slog of paying off crippling debt. When I became focused on breaking scarcity stories to allow myself to make more money and create wealth. When I made My first $5,000 sale as a photographer, got my first $25,000 gig as a designer, and when my partners and I hustled to hit that first million-dollar year in our t-shirt business, when I manifested my dream guy by writing a list of 200 things I wanted in a man, moved from Seattle to sunny California to pursue my best life, and then met him six months later, when I tested into and graduated with distinction from a master's program at one of London's top business schools, despite never having finished my undergrad degree. When I seemed to just attract more and more attention and pile on success after success through book deals and magazine cover shoots and high-profile clients, through massive highs like getting to spend five days with one of my entrepreneurial heroes, Sir Richard Branson, on his private island in paradise, to what felt like unbearable failures, like building and investing heavily in the wrong business and giving it up after just a year. All of these moments, all of these experiences have really shaped my desire, my interest, and my motivation to do this joy-first work. And it's safe to say that over all those years and all those experiences, I've studied and trained and evolved and learned and unlearned a lot. But what has been even more powerful than my own experiences is the overlap between my lived experience and the reading and research I've done, 
and more especially, the lived experiences of others. There have been amazing overlaps, overlap with the patterns I've discovered in the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors of thousands of entrepreneurs I've met, interviewed, consulted with, created for, or supported in the last 20 years. Overlap with the clear truths that emerged in a year researching my dissertation for my master's degree and then my first book, and the year I spent doing dozens and dozens of in-depth exploratory Y-finding sessions with very successful female founders. Overlaps with the realities that have become obvious to me about how we consume as I've worked as a photographer, designer, marketer, and creator with the job of capturing, creating, advising, launching, and selling brands and products that are meant to tap into our desire for companionship, well-being, and most of all, joy. Brands like spas, hotels, restaurants, wines, pet products, services, and apparel, holidays, coaching, consulting, and more. And the one thing I know is true after all that experimenting and studying and analyzing is that instinctively we know what joy is and where to get it. Yeah, sure, there are little differences here and there, but most of us have really similar answers. We feel joy in intimacy, in relaxation, in excitement and achievement, in nature. We feel it when we are in service of others, when we get lost in the wilds of our own imagination, when we get in flow, when we get absorbed in storytelling. What joy is and where it comes from is not a mystery. I'm sure if you sit right now and you think about like, oh, what brings me joy? What makes me feel totally alive? What makes me feel totally at peace? You will find so many visceral memories and ideas of what joy is to you, where it comes from and what it feels like. The where and the what is not hard. But what does seem to evade most of us who are born into the capitalist eat, sleep, shop, please, perform, produce, repeat lifestyle is how to actually make time for it, how to actively prioritize joy. I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute. (laughs) How to actively prioritize joy. And I don't just mean like twice a year on holiday. I mean every day. Every decision. Because doing this fundamentally sends us in the opposite direction of what we've been taught is right and good and valuable and worthwhile. Most of us in highly developed, wealthy Western societies, especially the US and the UK, which is where I spent most of my time, have been programmed in a highly individualist, exhausting and lonely, every man and woman for themselves tireless pursuit of money, status, and power above all else. This is what we're trained to want, to create, and to value in other people. This is why, you know, you go to America, the very, very first thing people ask you is, what do you do? It's not, what do you believe in? Or what brings you joy? Which is the question I always ask people now. (laughs) What do you do? Because we measure ourselves by the value that we create for society the monetary value, the status, and the power. One thing that I have discovered that I think is really interesting and maybe a common misconception is that what I found is that most often this pursuit is not driven by greed. 
I can tell you for a fact that most people are not greedy. Most people are generous and very worried about being greedy or being perceived as greedy. For the average person, we are driven by fear. We learn really early on in life the consequences of not having enough money, enough status, enough power. Most of us have watched our parents or other people that we looked up to suffer in the systems that only truly work for and keep safe those with money, status, and power. So we learned that achieving these things should be the primary aim of our life because not having them is clearly so unsafe, unpredictable, and painful. And, you know, maybe on top of that, our parents who ultimately wanted good things for us pushed us in directions they thought would lead us to more money, status, and power. Maybe we shove down our desires for play, peace, music, art, creativity, and joy to pursue more serious education and careers in medicine, law, and finance because it was financially safer. It was a sure thing. Maybe as women, after watching our mothers or grandmothers, we learned that we could simply never rely on a man for financial security. We must always have our own money. Maybe we decided we didn't want kids because we didn't want to give up our dreams just to have a family because this is what we saw modeled. Maybe as men, after watching our fathers or grandfathers work tirelessly to support our family, while still suffering indignities of scarcity, powerlessness, or simply not having enough, you decided you'd never ever wanted to struggle to pay the bills. Or maybe you survived your parents' painful divorce and you decided you never wanted to marry because you feared losing everything you'd worked so hard for. These are real fears that people have shared with me over and over and over again. Real people with these real life experiences carrying pain from their childhood, which turned their fear into the most motivating force in their life. But all of these clever, delightful, wonderful, caring human beings found me because they weren't happy. They weren't fulfilled or they'd achieved most everything they wanted in their business and they were looking for a next step, a step into more meaning, more purpose, more joy. This now what moment requires us to search for purpose, for meaning and internal motivation beyond that searing hot external push. Maybe they'd felt for years that push to prove yourself, to build financial security or achieve the aspirations that our parents put on us. Or one of the strongest ones, to disprove the haters who said we could never do it. These are powerful, powerful motivating factors, but at the end of the day, they are all based on fear. These thousands of conversations I've had, hours upon hours of holding space to explore the pain of not enoughness, of invisibility, of abusive relationships and regret, I can tell you the pain and fear we experience in our youth convinces us it is more important to be safe than anything else. And what safe looks like for each of us is so different. But where is the space for trying new things, for joy, for living, if safety is all that matters? Spoiler alert, there is none. Because a need for safety seems to breed a pathological need for control and fear of failure. And this is what we're taught life should be. 
We watch and learn, work harder, try harder, elevate ourselves from poverty or obscurity or insecurity or the marginalized community or whatever doesn't fit with the money, status, and power paradigm to move on up to the top of the pyramid, to get the systems working for us instead of against us. So we ensure our families will be safe from the cruel realities of being at the bottom. This has nothing to do with joy. This is all about survival. So we fear having no choices, no hope, no freedom. We dedicate ourselves to fitting in, rising up, getting more education, more wealth, bigger job titles, nicer cars, better postcodes, fancier friends, anything and everything to win at the game that we were inevitably bruised by as kids. Although it is the default for most people, I can tell you without a doubt, living your life fear first is not the way. Yes, fear first might lead to some power, money, and status, but you'll have to endure a tremendous amount of misery to get it. And once you've got it, you'll fear losing it and you'll have no idea what to do next. Chances are you will feel very, very hollow because you will have convinced yourself your whole life that the money, power, and status was everything. And when you have it and you still don't feel fulfilled, you're going to feel really depressed. Fear first is not the way. The good news is though, we do get to choose. If you're 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 or 100, it doesn't matter. You can choose something different from today. So what is the opposite choice? What is the antidote to living based on fear that we internalize as children? What's the magical recipe for living into your own self-expression and self-determination? What is the proven pathway to the life you actually want with people you actually enjoy being around in pursuit of purpose that makes you so excited to jump out of bed each day? Maybe you guessed it. Joy first. Choosing to live your life motivated by the pursuit of joy instead of by fear. And for the record, joy first can also lead to money, power, and status. Instead of enduring misery, though, counting down the days to retirement or staying in situations that are deeply unhealthy or unfulfilling, when combined with entrepreneurship especially, joy first can give us a better way that is both sustainable and enjoyable to achieve the financial security we crave from a place of wholeness from a place of joyful creation, of choice, of authentic self-expression, which is absolutely magnetic to the people around you. And we do not have to be miserable to earn it. It does not have to be hard and painful. And in fact, if you are able to tap into this joy first energy, everything, like being in flow, everything starts to feel easier. It is such a powerful belief for most of us based on those scenes from our past that we have to somehow earn the right to be happy. We have to earn our joy through struggle and strife. And this is just not true. Your joy is a birthright. You are allowed joy right now, today, this very moment, and in every moment hereafter, it is yours to claim. So what does joy first actually look like in action? 
Sounds good, right? But how do we do it? <laughs> Joy first is doing it your own way instead of the blending in way. It's the fun option instead of the practical one, like the bright turquoise couch instead of the gray one. It's being present in your life instead of being ruled by the anxiety of what if. It's prioritizing joy even when it feels hard, scary, impractical, or foolish. But here's a few ground rules just so we're on the same page because I know exactly what you're thinking right now and I wanted to spell a few myths for you. I don't obviously have time in this episode to go into every aspect of joy first living or working, and that's why I'm writing the book. Stay tuned. (laughs) But I do want to make three really important joy first ground rules super clear. The first one is that joy does not mean spending more money all the time. So if you're someone who spends frivolously, joy first might actually mean finding joy in savings and delayed gratification. I know, the worst. If you're someone who saves out of fear, then yeah, maybe it does mean splurging on yourself once in a while. One of the most joyful things I spend money on each week is fresh flowers for my home. And I tell you, every single time I walk into the room and see them, they spark a bit of joy. It is such a great investment. The second rule is that joy does not equal hedonism. Okay? Just doing things for the pure pleasure of it all the time to the detriment of hard work Because interestingly, one of the places we actually get the most joy in our lives is through a meaningful challenge, right? Joy does not equal pure pleasure all the time. And just doing the easy thing or the fun thing or the hedonistic thing is not the same thing as joy first. So I want to make that really clear. Because for most of us who grow up in this like productivity paradigm, we immediately think joy equals not being responsible or just goofing off all the time. And it's not true. In fact, actually achieving something so difficult, we thought it might be impossible is one of the greatest sources of joy in our lives. So that feeling at the top of a mountain after a hard hike, you know, that feeling of achieving a huge goal after unlocking an up level that we thought we might never reach. These are types of joy that are super meaningful, valuable, and lasting but they require pain, discomfort, hard work, right? It's not all pleasure. So don't make the mistake of automatically equating joy with never challenging yourself or never getting uncomfortable because that could not be further from the truth. The third rule is that joy is not about being happy all the time. This is not more toxic positivity or spiritual bypassing advice like just be happy all the time, just don't think bad thoughts, right? Joy and happiness are not actually the same thing. Happiness is a feeling. Joy is an emotion. And while I'm not going to dive into that too deeply, what I want you to know about that right now is that joy includes a wide range of feelings, not all of which are fun. (laughs) So in fact, like the emotion of joy is something that we can feel even when we're not happy. For example, we could crash our car and experience emotional and physical pain, which makes us unhappy, while also still feeling this immense swell of joy that we're so glad we're alive, right? We're so grateful we survived the crash. You cannot feel happy and sad at the same time, but we can feel joyful and sad at the same time because the emotion of joy can come with many different feelings. And the fourth rule is joy isn't always equal access. 
So like all things in life, unfortunately, the starting point for accessing joy easily and regularly isn't an equal playing field for all. There are plenty of mental, physical, and emotional complications that can make joy pretty much unavailable, which may make it feel unattainable or perhaps even undesirable. So if you're neurodiverse, navigating depression, or have what my friend Dr. Romy Mushtaq would call busy brain, where inflammation in your brain is causing you a cycle of stress, anxiety, and insomnia, Joy probably won't feel possible until like a couple weeks into her busy brain cure. So go grab the book. It's called Busy Brain Cure. Get started now and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> but like every positive change in your life, stepping into a joy first paradigm might require a visit to a physician or a mental health professional to support your chemical, neurological, emotional, and or physical needs. So don't brush off the benefits of a joy first life just because it doesn't sound possible for you right now. And I just want you to know that despite the forces you might feel are working against you, I really, really want to encourage you to hold on to hope and take that first or next step towards well-being that will allow you to get into a place where joy feels possible for you. It is a deeply healing force. And once you've kind of taken that next step, then follow the advice that comes next in this episode. So with all of that said, if you like the sound of living a joy first life, if you like the idea of kicking fear out of the driver's seats, so you can consciously and joyfully curate a life in business that reflects your heart's desires. Here is your quick joy first challenge and three actions to help you do it. Okay, here's a challenge. The simple challenge to get you started on your joy first path is to simply choose it. Choose it now and moment by moment as you navigate your day, life, and business. The challenge is to make joy first a habit. I know, I know it sounds simple, <laughs> maybe a little cheesy, but it's actually super powerful. And although just like any new habit, it will take practice and repetition I think as you begin the practice, you'll find it easier and easier. The goal of any habit is to make a behavior automatic. And so I want to give you a few actions to help create that habit in your life. I practice joy first through three simple repeatable actions. Number one, start the day with joyful intention. Have you seen the movie Inside Out? You know, uh, the one with all the characters in the head that are all emotions, there's like joy and sadness and anger and disgust. So funny. Well, joy runs the show. Well, at least till things start to go awry <laughs> in our heroine's brain. <laughs> so the action, imagine starting each day with joy at the controls. She's guiding how you think, act, react, and the choices that you make. Decide first thing when you wake up who you're going to be and how you're going to show up today. Is today a joy first day? Declare it. Today, I choose to live joy first. Now you're committed. You've kicked fear off the controls. Joy is in charge. Personally, I do really like to journal because I feel like writing it down gives it more power. And I incorporate this with a couple of other habits. I do love a good habit stack. <laughs> writing down my weekly and monthly goals and where I'm at now as an anchor for keeping my perspective and focus. And this really helps me 
keep my priorities instead of getting distracted by guilt and pressure of everybody else and their wants and needs. So it's a nice little ritual. You can also just go through it mentally in the shower or, you know, pop a little post-it note on your mirror that just says joy first to help remind you to commit as you're brushing your teeth. So the first one, start the day with joyful intention. Decide you're going to live joy first today. The second action is to find joy in the shit stuff. So this is part resilience, part reframing, part making a conscious choice about how you want to react to life's up and downs. But when I'm experiencing fear, frustration, indecision, I have developed the habit of asking myself, where is the joy here? And when I'm not feeling or especially when I'm not acting like the joy first version of myself, I try and take a beat and make a choice. So the action, when you're stuck in traffic, feeling annoyed by the incompetent people around you, feeling stressed in a situation beyond your control, and you want to shift gears and not be so high strung and maybe a little entitled about something really petty, (laughs) this is a great time to shift. Simply take a breath and ask yourself, where's the joy here? Look for the silver lining. Look for gratitude. Look for ways this could be the best thing that's ever happened to you, especially in situations you have no control over because these are prime times to do what my mom used to call when I was a grumpy teenager, a quote unquote attitude adjustment. (laughs) Give yourself some perspective and for the sake of yourself and everyone around you, anchor into joy and gratitude instead of fear, anxiety, victim mode, unfairness, or just plain bitchiness. This I just had recently when we were at the airport. And you know, places like the airport, they just like trigger this stuff in you, right? Of just being so annoyed (laughs) by how inefficient everything is. And we were in the Caribbean and everything was going on island time, which is a concept I might actually get tattooed on me because I constantly need a reminder to take a chill pill and slow down and not be so gross and entitled. But I was getting really annoyed at how slow the line was going. And I was really struggling to, um, (laughs) I was really struggling to shift gears into gratitude. And so I did just take a deep breath and I said, where's the joy here? Where's the joy here? And I started to mentally go through things that made me feel joyful and grateful. So seeing my kids when I get home, the crystal turquoise waters we had just seen, the amazing meals we had had, the connection that I got to have with my husband while we were away together, and really anchoring into those moments and those feelings, not just thinking about them, but really trying to feel them did fundamentally change my attitude in the moment. And I was able to just take a deep breath and be like, you know, nobody's dying here. Like I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait long. It's inefficient. It's all good. Like I can handle this. And so sometimes just that moment of perspective is all you need. And it's not just about not being a bitch. It's also about what, to be fair, is really important for everybody around you because nobody wants to be around you when you're like that. But it's also about what you are experiencing in your body, the chemicals that your body is creating, where your head is at, and what is possible when you are, you know, in that frequency of joy and gratitude instead of that annoyed bitchiness. Okay. So rule number two was find joy in the shit stuff. Rule number three, when decision-making because not all the joy first stuff is a decision. Sometimes it's a shift like we just talked about, but when it is a decision, consider and then actually follow through with the joyful option. 
One of the things Richard Branson said repeatedly when we were with him on Necker was, the brave may not live forever, but the cautious never live at all. And I think this mentality pretty much sums up his risk-heavy career in life and business, often to the horror of his colleagues and partners. You win some, you lose some, but better to leave it all on the table than to live a half-life. That's the idea. And I do agree with this principle, and I am generally more of a risk-taker in business, way more so than a lot of people I know, but I'm still finding my feet with this in the physical world. So I've impulsively moved countries, created business partnerships with people I barely know. I adopted a Great Dane puppy when I was a poor college student. (laughs) I had kids when I wasn't sure I was ready, rented out our house and lived in Europe for a year, which was a huge pain in the ass, and have repeatedly put myself in rooms I had no business being in and have said yes when no was 100% the smarter answer. All of these choices have been the best ones for my joy first life. But I'm still working on letting go of control and perfectionism, being brave enough to do things that feel joyful, but also seem really scary. That used to include things like getting tattoos, wearing a bathing suit in public, or going on three-day wilderness backpacking trips, all of which I now do unreservedly. So there has been progress, but it's still a journey for me. So some of the things that other people find easy, I find really hard and scary, and vice versa, because we all have a different foundation for what is fear and what is joy. And sometimes you have to overcome a bit of fear in order to experience your joy first option, but do not let the fear stop you. So action, when making a decision, big or small, ask yourself a question that will weed out the fear-based decisions. Here's a few of my favorites that my people will recognize. I say them all the time and I also use them myself. What would be easy? Which one is joy? Which one is fear? Will this bring me joy? What would the opposite of fear be? And then tune into your body, like close your eyes and feel as you go through the options, which one feels like joy and which one feels like fear. Joy will feel like expansion, excitement, soothing, relief. Fear will feel like restriction, tightness, anxiety. And the option that makes you feel lighter and more expansive and excited, even if there is some nervousness there, that's the joyful answer. It might require some extra time, support, effort, or, you know, special insurance, you know, see sensible risk-taking, but the key is to not let those complexities or annoying details negate the joy of it. So for example, when we rented out our house and traveled to Europe, like that was such a pain. The idea of like getting our house rentable. There was a lot of things we had to do to legally make it rentable, like with, you know, getting our electrics tested and getting smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors in and a whole bunch of annoying stuff. And I am not very good at that kind of adulting. That is my least favorite thing in life. (laughs) And, you know, then putting it out there, photographing it, finding someone who wanted to rent it, negotiating the contract, blah, 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 et cetera. We had to live somewhere for a few weeks before we could leave because we had no idea when this would all happen. So complicated, annoying details that I hated doing, but the benefit of being able to be completely location independent for a year, just my husband, my dog and me (laughs) was worth it. And it was so worth it. We lived in Lake Como for a few months. We lived in Majorca for a few months. And still this was like, I don't know, eight years ago or something. 
we still look back on that as some of the happiest times of our life because our lifestyle was so good. It was such a joy. So do not overthink it. (laughs) That is the number one joy killer. Just commit to it in public if possible, and then allow yourself to joyfully take the next step and the next one until it's actually happening. All right, guys, that's it. These are your first steps to your joy first life and business. Thank you for being here today. I would really love it if you found this episode valuable. I would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel so moved, you know, leave us a review. We love getting your feedback. And the more reviews and subscribers that we get, the more people we can reach and hopefully convert them from fear first to joy first. And God, what an amazing world that would be to live in, right? A world where everyone is actively putting joy over fear. Yes, please. See you next time.